Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our political correspondent Tal Schneider, military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian, and legal affairs correspondent Jeremy Sharon. Hello to all of you. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. So good to see you. We obviously have a lot to cover today. Manny will update us on the twin bombings in Jerusalem yesterday, as well as the horrific case of Tiran Ferro, whose body was snatched in the West Bank. Tal is here with Coalition Building, and Jeremy will give an insight into the looming override clause. But first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Manny, Israeli 12th grader Tiran Ferro, would have celebrated his 18th birthday today. Instead, he will be buried after his death in a car accident, followed by the kidnapping of his body. How was the body recovered? So Tiran Ferro's body was uh, returned to Israel this morning, very early this morning, following some sort of agreement reached uh, between Israeli defense officials, more specifically the uh, Kogat, the Coordinator of Government Activities in the Territories, it's a defense ministry unit, uh, and they had held discussions with the Palestinian Authority and with local leaders in Jenin and with other officials uh, to eventually get his body out of the Jenin refugee camp where it was being held by Palestinian gunmen and then uh, bring it to uh, to a checkpoint to be taken uh, for burial in Israel. Are the gunmen part of any kind of organization or is it some kind of anarchic uh, operation that was done at the spur of the moment? Right. So the gunmen, the, the specific group that they're part of is not entirely clear. Some reports have claimed uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad affiliated, uh, but it does seem like something more uh, spontaneous. It, it really underlines the kind of the lack of governance the Palestinian Authority has in, in Janine, which has been a problem for the last year at least, where... Um, Every night when uh, Israeli troops conduct raids uh, in the city, they always come under fire and the Palestinian Authority is not there to hold them back. Uh, so, but, but this situation may actually prove that the Palestinian Authority has some sort of control there and was able to get control of the situation and, and eventually get the body out. Uh, a few things that a defense official uh, noted this morning to reporters, uh, he said that Israel did not give the Palestinians anything in return. The gunman reportedly demanded the release of uh, the bodies of several terrorists who had been killed by uh, by Israeli security forces, and they, they were demanding that in order to release the body. This defense source uh, said that Israel had not agreed to anything, and it was really only thanks to the Palestinian Authority putting pressure and, and ending the saga. Uh, another thing of note, initially it was reported that Tehran 
was critically wounded in the accident and then therefore brought to the hospital in Janine, uh, where he died. That was what the army reported. And then his family said that the gunman stormed the hospital and pulled his body out or pulled, pulled him out when he was still alive. And then he died afterwards. But the defense source uh, said that from the information that they had available from what the hospital notified them, uh, that he had indeed died about an hour or so uh, before the kidnapping actually happened. Okay, thank you, Manny. Yesterday, Jerusalem faced a double bombing which killed 16-year-old Israeli-Canadian Ayesh Shupak and injured dozens more. What more information do you have for us today about the perpetrators and the hunt to find them? Police officials say that uh, the, the attack was perpetrated by a cell, not uh, one person, but uh, was definitely something more organized due to the nature of the attacks. The two bombs uh, placed at two main uh, bus, uh, bus stops, uh, one at the entrance near Givashaul and one near Ramot. They're very, very busy areas, and to detonate these two very similar bombs within half an hour of each other required some sort of uh, organization and to even build these bombs. Uh, according to uh, the head of the police operations uh, division, uh, she said that the bombs were very high quality and had a, they were capable of a high level of damage. The uh, bombs themselves were packed with nails and ball bearings to maximize damage. So definitely something a bit more uh, complicated here with these bombs themselves, the way they were placed and the actual capabilities behind them. Uh, so that's why police have indicated um, that a cell is behind it. It is unclear where they're from, if they are um, Palestinians from the West Bank or from East Jerusalem. There has been an assessment by security officials that it is more likely to have been uh, a cell from East Jerusalem because they have um, access to West Jerusalem and where the attack took place, whereas Palestinians in the West Bank would have trouble bringing in uh, an explosive device uh, through the West Bank security barrier. Uh, so that's why um, the hunt for the, for the cell is currently focused mostly on the East Jerusalem area, but also elsewhere to find out perhaps uh, people who were involved in the planning uh, stages of the attack or people who passed instructions or in equipment to build these bombs. Manny, thank you for that. And obviously, you're constantly updating the site. Okay, we'll say goodbye now to you. Thank you. Tal, turning to you, do you think that there will be any effect on the coalition talks in light of the terror attack? Yes. Yeah, so hi, Amanda. Uh, there was a huge pressure yesterday to build this government quickly. I mean, one of the promises that Netanyahu made right after the election was that he's going to have this government formed very quickly. This is not taking place. And with the terror attacks uh, in Israel, in Jerusalem yesterday, and the uh, events unfolding in Jenin with the body of the of the uh, Druze teenager, People from both sides said, you know, come on, let's get it on. But during all of those hours, very tense hours in Israel, when they are still chasing the terrorists, I mean, this is the outgoing government, of course, which is not part of the negotiation. During those tense hours, you hear the Likud and the religious Zionists headed by Smotrich yelling at each other, you are a liar, you are, you know, you are sending, um, you know, lies to the press in order to put pressure on us. Uh, this is, this is came from Smotrich saying everything that the Likud is doing is spins and, you know, that the press shouldn't believe anything that they say. And then a Likud response late at night saying, come on, Smotrich, you have to be an adult and get on with it because we are under attack. So, both sides are kind of using the situation in order to pressure politically the other side. 
other than that, the, the coalition talks, you know, there are some issues that are very interesting and relevant to us and to our listeners. One of them is that Smotrich will be probably the finance minister for the next two years and then switch to interior minister with, you know, he will switch with the uh, Shas chair, uh, Arya Derry. But during uh, these two years, at least for the beginning, he will get all of the responsibilities about the conversion in Israel, which means the conversion. I mean, anyhow, the conversion will be uh, fully ultra-Orthodox um, because it's if it's Shas or, uh, or Smotrich, this is the way it will go. Another very interesting um, aspect is uh, Smotrich uh, with the religious Zionist. He claims that under the Ministry of Finance, he must have the civil administration. This is a part that is, it's, it's like a unit, a whole unit uh, headed by high ranking officer in the military. It's under the defense ministry because this, uh, the civil administration actually manages areas seen in the West Bank where uh, Israeli settlers mostly live and, and they have like 100,000 uh, of Palestinians in those areas. It's very weird. And it's a, very, it's a troubling some development. It actually means um, here in Israel, we call it some soft annexation because it's not annexation uh, under the law, but it's real annexation if you look at the procedures and the way the civil administration is managed. So this is another point of, um, you know, I don't know yet how the Likud is uh, going to deal with that. It's, it's a huge problem for Netanyahu because it means that if the defense ministry remains in the Likud hands with Yoav Gallant as the defense minister, but all of the control of, of, of civil operations will go in under the finance ministry. It's, um, it leaves the military with lots of problems out there. All of this is very strange. And what we quote unquote know hasn't actually been released in any kind of formal way by anyone, correct? It's all through leaks and rumors and by all parties which are using the media in a certain way as, as a weapon. How realistic do you think this actually is? We're moving the civil administrations. I don't know yet. It seems, uh, yeah, it's, this is through leaks. But there are a lot of other uh, demands that uh, religious Zionists put on the table in previous days. And now the Likud says it's, um, it's theirs uh, clauses as well, such as, um, you know, uh, approve very fast in like 60 days from the, the date the government is formed, approve lots of um, what they called young settlements, small illegal outposts um, all over the West Bank. Okay, well, promises, promises. We'll see what the end result is. We'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I've found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts 
at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4 by 4 Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel Story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Jeremy, the world is watching to see whether one of the first orders of business with the new government will be the override clause, which basically would allow the Knesset to override the High Court of Justice rulings, potentially even by a slim majority of 61. So you wrote a piece about how over 100 law professors and lecturers across Israel's universities and institutions published a letter this week opposing the proposed bill. What were some of their reasons? So the the High Court of Justice has been a major thorn in the side of the right-wing religious uh, political bloc for for many years. Uh, Since on several occasions, or more than several occasions, on numerous occasions, it's either struck down uh, legislation by the uh, by by right-wing government or reversed government decisions um, by right-wing religious governments. And increasingly, this has upset the the right wing, and they've been becoming more insistent that that they deal with the high court and they stop the high court interfering with with uh, how things are run in the country. So the truth is that the the way this works out is it depends to what extent how far these uh, this overhaul of the judicial system goes and and the overhaul of what's known as judicial review goes. If it's done in a moderate way, then then some people would be able to agree that this is an acceptable reform. But if it's done in a more radical way, for instance, like you said, just to have a a 61M case be able to override the high court, then that would, these law professors are are concerned that that would basically mean the end of, of judicial review for Israel. And what is called uh, what is known as a tyranny of the majority, meaning that a bare minimum of 61 MKs could do anything they like. The government the government needs to have the bare minimum for a government is 61 MKs. And if, just, if that number of uh, Knesset members were able to override the high court when it says legislation contravenes Israel's uh, basic laws on, on human rights, then that would mean that there is no, no longer any protections for, for, for human rights in Israel. And they also point out that unlike other countries, Israel, the, the, the ability of the high court to intervene and say something is not commensurate with human rights is actually Israel's only check on on executive and legislative power. These professors point out that, you know, we don't have in this country a constitution. We don't have a bicameral legislature. We, we don't have a presidential system. So so the president, like unlike in, in America, the president can't 
there's no president to strike debt, to, to, to veto legislation. Uh, there's not even constituency elections where uh, an elected representative is beholden to his uh, constituents and not, and not just a party leader. These are some of the concerns that these law professors had in that it should, should uh, judicial review be undermined in, in this manner, uh, there would be little protections for is- Israeli minorities on you know, a whole raft of issues uh, going forward. Okay, Jeremy, thank you for that. Tal, back to you. Let's briefly hear what's happening or actually maybe not happening in Meretz. What's, what's going on? Right, Amanda, this is a very dire situation. Meretz, the liberal, lefty, green uh, party of Israel did not cross the threshold last election and they were um, about um, thousands of votes away from entering the, the current Knesset. This is going to be the first Knesset in 30 years that Meretz will not be part of the legislature. Uh, Meretz has a history of uh, human rights and work on behalf of women rights, human rights, LGBT community and so on. So Meretz in all of their 30 years in Knesset were mostly, you know, during most of that time, they were opposition leaders or not opposition leaders, actually part of the opposition, very effective one. But on several instances, um, some of their former leaders served as um, um, education ministers and other uh, ministers, you know, back in 1992 and then again in 1999. But for brief times, it's not like they've been uh, part of uh, Israel's governing uh, elite. Only in the recent year when they went in and took ministerial jobs, the health ministry and the EPA, you know, the environmental protection uh, ministry, this is this happened in the last year under Bennett and Lapid. And only during that time, they have, you know, real powers. And it's it's very sad to see that the, the party ended up this year of, of, of being part of the coalition thrown out of Israel's Knesset and not serving anymore. And now the, the party is actually broke. They broke financially and they broke, you know, mentally and all, all of those, you know, aspects. They convened a couple of days ago in Tel Aviv with management members and the outgoing chairman, Zeava Galon, actually said she's going to step down as a chairwoman at the end of the year. This is a month, a little bit more than a month from now. And nobody really wants to, to take this party on his shoulders. Nobody wants to, they don't, they're not going to have any kind of primaries at the moment for a replacement, mainly because they are, you know, they're carrying a debt of 16 million shekels to the Knesset. So they, they owe money, uh, with, you know, this is finance, uh, political finance, uh, money that they need to pay back. And the problem, the main problem is 60 million shekels. This is not something that they can come up and say, okay, this is, we have this in our banks or we have this. They don't have any, uh, you know, properties. They don't have, you know, fluid money. And still on top of those 16 millions, they owe suppliers, workers, uh, you know, uh, contractors, they owe a lot of money. Not 16 millions, but, you know, um, a lesser sum. But very dire situation and, and, and um, no solution at sight. Okay, Tal, thanks for that. Jeremy, Tal, thanks for joining me today. Sure. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.